I felt like there's two positions in in softball that get overlooked all the time or for most times catching and outfield. So again, the outfield I have a passion for, and most of the outfielders, most, not all, were flappers, and then the ones that weren't could also lay it on down because a lot of them are lefty. I come from a small city in the Midwest and didn't let that stop me from making my goal of playing D1 softball a reality. No matter where you live, you have the tools to help you thrive, and I am hoping through this podcast to help you get there. On this podcast, you'll learn from Olympians, Hall of Fame coaches, and elite players what their journeys have been like, and you'll also learn from me and my family a bit of our journey through the game. I'm so excited to have you here. So whip out your notebook and let's learn how we can grow in this game together. Welcome to When the Cleats Come Off. Hey, and welcome back or welcome to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. I am thrilled to have you here for part two of my insightful conversation with five-time ACC Coach of the Year and NFCA Hall of Famer, Coach Donna Papa. Last week, we were lucky to learn how she got her start at the University of North Carolina 38 years ago, some of the things she valued most as a coach, like her relationship with her players and to always keep learning, and the commonalities between the best players and teams she ever coached and why she was so excited to get up and go to work every single day. This week, we are talking about the importance of teaching aggressive base running and also diving into one of her favorite topics, and that is the outfield. She played outfield and worked tirelessly with her outfield up until her very last year coaching at UNC. She takes the work out there seriously, but she also knew how to make it fun. From setting up specific drills to work on their footwork, their reads, and create a go-all-out mentality, this episode is packed with strategies to teach the last line of defense effectively and also give the Audis the love that they don't always get, but they definitely deserve. My sister Christina played outfield for Coach P and was arguably one of the best outfielders in the country. I'm not just saying that because she's my sister. She won a Rawlings Gold Glove her senior year. And this is what she had to say about her experience at UNC. Christina said, Her dedication and passion for the outfield was a huge part of my development as an outfielder. When you have someone, especially a coach and mentor, who is just as passionate as you about something, it inspires you to want to be the best at it. I learned and gained so much from her. So yes, I'd say she was a huge reason why I won a gold glove. That says it all. I'm so excited to share with you this fun part two conversation with legendary coach Donna Papa. Let's dive in. The game has evolved a lot from the time that you played probably to now. Oh, yeah. How are you able to find, you know, over time that consistent success? Because I know if you ran the team like you did first year, all the way to the last year, it wouldn't work. Yeah. So what were you doing to adapt? I, well, I think, you know, 
a couple of things. Um, make sure you surround yourself with some really good assistants that um, are good in their areas, you know, whether it's pitching or hitting, um, base running, you know, whatever it may be. And, and everybody needs to stay current. Like I said, I went to clinics every year and I would, whether they were online, whether I was in person, I don't care. And if I went to, if I was speaking at one, I went and listened to people speak also or talk to other coaches. And and I think that's the way that you do it. You can't, you can't stay, you can't stay the same way. Like I had to learn, I'm not, I didn't come up in a technology, you know, time. So that part, you know, the girls can tell you, you know, sometimes it's a struggle for me, but, but I can tell you, I can work my way through synergy and, I use six, four, three charts synergy. We use that to scout and you have to like look at data and analytics and, and use that. You know, everybody uses it a little differently maybe, but you have to find what you, how you want to build your team and what's going to be important. But like when you're scouting and doing things like that, you have to know that that is a part of the game. I mean, baseball has been using it for a long time. Right. But we have to adapt, you know, our game and, and the girls are faster. You know, there's so many changes, the bat composition, you know, the ball changed from white when I was there. You know, I don't know how best in the fence. He was hitting a white ball with a bat that was like a club, you know, over the fence. And um, and now, you know, the yellow ball, it makes it, you know, uh, more, you know, exciting too for the viewers. But you just have to continue to learn and stay current. And like I said, get out there, talk to people. Don't be afraid. I think women are more afraid sometimes than men to share and, um, or coaches sometimes are more afraid to share than they should be because some people, most people might have some of the same questions and you can learn so much from, from other people. And that's the beauty of coaching. You know, I think, and, and I don't know that that's going to, you know, make that person beat your team, but I think um, to be able to share things that are, that are important in the game is really important to do. It, yeah. It just makes the whole game better as a whole. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, there's a lot of people that think like the scarcity mindset, well, if I share that, then they might beat us. Right. But like, that's, that's, I think one of the the things that a lot of people miss is, you know, the best are asking questions, the best are talking to each other. You know, they're not just like trying to figure it out on their own. Right. So whether you're a coach or a player, like quit trying to do it yourself. <laughs> like there's other people that have been there and done that. And even though the game is evolving, the core principles of the game are the same, exactly. the competitive fire, the hardworking, you know, mentality, like those are still, still there and still important. Um, but yeah, I, I, it has evolved. I mean, even since I played, like there's, there's new things that I'm like, oh man, like, do I want to jump into this? But did you ever find that there were things that you tried and just didn't work for your program too? Like, were you okay to say no to some things? Yeah, I think, you know, I think if, if it's not, you know, I, I think you have to really, you know, decide, you know, what you're going to, uh, focus on as a coach, like what you want your program to get out of it and how you're going to, you know, how you're going to do it. And if you really believe in it, but sometimes it doesn't always work, but I think, you know, um, this is one that did work for us when Chelsea, my former assistant, Barclay, now Dobbins came from Marshall. And, and I think, you know, Shonda Stanton is a really big, you know, base running, fast speed, whatever. 
And when Chelsea came to Carolina, she, you know, kind of infused the base running mentality from there. And um, we wound up stealing, you know, first year 75, then 90, then 110, then 120. And we would give the girls, um, whenever they got five stolen bases, we give them this thing called swings. And I don't know if you know what swings are, but they're like a little track. They have like a little track wing. And we had different colors, and they would put them on their cleats, like they tie them in there and whatever. Oh, yeah. I did oh, hear sure about these. Christina That's fun. Shoes. Yeah, Christina had a couple yeah, of those. So, yeah, I remember. So we, you know, and that was the one way, kind of, we sold it, like to make it exciting. Like you made it. Oh, you know, if you get five, you know, you're going to get these swings. If you get ten, you're going to get this color swing, and you know, the swing board or whatever. So, um, I think. Like, if you're going to do something like that, like, you know, embracing it and, and, and selling it, I guess. But then, again, there's sometimes something, you know, you think is great. The girls are like, you know, they just can't, they don't feel it or they don't buy into it. So there's a, it, it's that's hard sometimes, especially when you um, have your feet kind of dug in and maybe theirs are on top running away from it, so... Uh, but I, I think, you know, in adding to um, what you had asked me, too, I think for me, I always, at, when we finished our last game, I would sit down and say, okay, what do we need to do better? What did we do well? What didn't we do well? And what things do we need to improve on for next year and, and next season, whatever? And I always would hold myself accountable there and start with me first and then sit down with, you know, my assistants and say, okay, you know, how can we be better here? I feel like, you know, say like the outfield, you know, was pretty aggressive to balls. Um, and maybe at the fence, you know, we bobbled it a little bit. So how can we get better at that and, and make that a, a positive for us? But we're doing these things well. So I would always look to me first. I like that. And you're probably, you know, doing that week to week as well. Oh, sure. You know, you play a weekend, mm -hmm. you recap with your coaches and say, here's where we need to get better. And do you plan your week of practice based on those things too? Yeah. I think, you know, I think you have to cover um, some of the stuff that are your, you know, your basic stuff that you do, like, you know, say you're doing dailies, like you're going to do your dailies or you're going to do your cores every day, you know, but then the things that you know that maybe you fell short, you know, maybe it was, you know, executing a bunt defense and you know you're going to be facing a team that bunts a lot or slaps a lot or whatever. So I think you have to work on the things. And I think it's important, too, that you take a time and to work with that player on their things they need to work on, not just what the team needs to work on. I think you get more buy-in investment if you are working to see what is this player doing well, what are they falling short in, and how can I help them get better this week? Because then they're going to contribute to what you're trying to do. And so it can't always be this big picture of the team. Yes, the team comes it's always team first, but you also, the team is built of individual players. And so how are we going to get them better this week? And how are we going to prepare for this opponent? And what things do we need to do? They need to feel good. And I'm not saying go out there and make feel good swings. Uh, they need to feel prepared for what the, their role is and the expectations 
And then we need to be ready as a team to compete against this opponent, whoever it may be. Um, and so we're going to be looking at film of our opponents, pictures, so on. But we're also going to look at that player, you know, what they need to work on or how am I can help them get better and, and do some things. Yeah. I like that you do, you do it as an individual piece because it, it does create that buy-in. Like if you're going to talk to me one-on-one on the things that I need to get better, I'm going to hear that a lot better than if it's, you know, called out in front of the whole team. Right. So I think, I think that's really neat and a good takeaway. Let's talk about outfield. It's like your favorite thing. Um, Christina always talks about how passionate you are about the outfield. Where did this come from? Did you play outfield? Yes. I, well, um, the majority of my career, you know, um, in travel, college, and then for us, it was major women's, which now is like athletes unlimited, but they were getting paid, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, outfield, and I did pitch um, for a couple of years at UConn, and I played first base. I'm a lefty. I always wanted to be a catcher, and then people said, no, you're a lefty, you can't be a catcher. So kind of bummed about that. But anyways, yeah, outfield, I had... I don't know what it is. I think, you know, I, I had speed, so I liked that part of it, um, that you could run a ball down or make a diving catch or make a good throw, you know, to get somebody out. Um, and I just think a lot of times the outfield seems to, you know, get overlooked or, you know, a lot of times, you know, teams or coaches, you know, want to put in a big hitter out in the outfield. And I'm like, but they're slow. They can't make those plays. Yeah. <laughs> Even though they can hit, let's find somewhere else for them. I like a fast outfield, and that speed is just, you know, phenomenal. I mean, even you watch the Andrews sisters and so on, it's so good. And some of the catches that outfielders make, you know, they're they're, they're on the highlights most times. Those are the great catches, mm-hmm. great feel to be able to make that play, you know, because you're, you are, the you know, it's such a cliche, the last line of defense other than defense, right? And so, um, you know, for me, my big thing was beat the ball. And I think I told you this, but um, get grass stains on your teeth. Like, you're aggressive. um, Be aggressive to every ball. Attack every ball. And, you know, make sure you're there, you know, to back up plays, too. You know, that if the ball isn't to you, I said ball-based backup, you know. And so, um, and then communicating, being able to communicate always like you should be the loudest one on the field you know and um and then just you know trying to eliminate mental errors because i think as an outfielder you know depending on how good your pitching is you may not get as many balls and you have to be ready so you know getting in a ready position when the pitcher's throwing moving your feet you know we would work on that before every drill you know we would act as if the pitcher was throwing and we would get our feet you know, come forward and then, you know, went over our head and we would make that adjustment. But um, we worked the first day of practice, we worked diving and balls against the wall so that there was no fear there. Because I would ask, you know, are you afraid to dive? Sliding catches, are you comfortable with those? And so we would do stuff first day diving and then balls at the wall because that's where most kids, you know, they're going to stop. I mean, thankfully at most colleges, you have a warning track. And so trying to even get them, you know, at full speed, uh, how many steps is it or knowing when, you know, you potentially can hit the wall. And if you hit the wall, okay, so what? You're going to hit the wall. And we have good padding. So um, 
that those two things for me were two of the first things that we would do um, in our individuals, whatever, as an outfielder. And then I think, you know, the other pieces are all your angles, you know, your drop steps and you get a deep drop or, you know, angles, you know, 45 um, crossovers, all those things um, to work on your footwork. Throwing, we did a lot of long, we would always end with long toss. You should be able to throw from, you know, the infield fence all the way to the outfield fence, you know, and strengthen your arm, and but be comfortable to do that and, and have good foot, you know, footwork quickness um, to ball. So, you know, we, we did a lot of stuff with getting a good jump. I think um, one of the best ways to get a good jump on a ball is just front toss. Have some of your better hitters and you have your outfield because that's the best spin you're going to get. I mean, you can work with a machine which can control, you know, how the depth of, you know, how far you want them to go overhead or to the sides and in front. But just plain simple front toss is one of the best ways, um, you know, for the outfielders to get that ball hit by some of your, you know, some of your good hitters um, to really read spins and things like that. Yes. Couldn't agree more. Crazy thing. I went to college thinking I was going to play some outfield because that's what I played in travel. I played second base for two years and first base for two years. And I remember four years later playing pro I told them like, I can play outfield. And I remember seeing the first ball in four years in the air. And I was like, I don't remember how to play this position. <laughs> like uh, my reads were so off just because yeah. the ball has been so close to me yeah. for so long in the infield. And it made me have this like new respect for outfield. Cause I grew up, you know, playing a ton of it. And then, you know, after four years, it's like, oh, I feel like I got to start over, but I don't think people understand like that is it's, it's the amount of reps you see off a bat that truly matters, yeah. you know, from a, from an angles, from a reads, from a reactionary mm -hmm. standpoint, I love that you do so much front toss, you know, and, and that's where hitters kind of feel good too. So they're hitting it far. Exactly. But, you get your catchers who might not, you know, be doing something when the pitchers are doing a bullpen or whatever. And then, you know, you throw them outside pitches and say, okay, you know, and then, you know, they work on their bat control. So it's, you know, it's something for them as well. But I don't think you can replace that with the reads with anything. You, know, you can mm -hmm. work on your footwork, like I said, with machines, which are great because they can be consistent. But for the as real as it can be, that's it right there. And even, you know, sometimes somebody maybe that's more powerful a hitter than maybe me, um, you know, it, hitting it to them and lefty righties hitting because the spin is, is going to go different. So that's important as well. Totally. I have some exciting news to share with you. The Virtual Hitting Academy is getting a facelift in 2024. And trust me, you are going to want to see what we have up our sleeves from Olympian guest speakers, more hitting drills added to the library, first access to, I can't believe I'm announcing this, a special course that me and a team of coaches will be launching next year. And you get special discounts on gear and also future clinic opportunities. Even if you're just a little interested to see and learn a little bit more about VHA, you'll want to be on my wait list so you can gain insight on the latest news and even get first access with bonuses that nobody else will get. Just head to www.ashleybtraining.com waitlist 
or tap the link in the show notes that I put for you and learn all the hype that's coming in 2024. Trust me, you are not going to want to miss it. Head to that link and join the waitlist. You will be really glad you did. All right, let's head back to the show. I think a lot of coaches are trying to figure out how do you get the angles right? How do you teach the angles? Because, you know, you can always do that one drill where you line up your players and have them turn at a 45, you know, tighten the angle. Um, I know you guys did that, but are there any other ways that coaches can kind of implement those angles other than just the live trial and error, but yeah. are there um, any other drills? You know, I'm a very visual person. Like if you ask Christina or any of the outfielders or the slappers, I have lines, cones, you know, you name it. And I put it down because I want them to be able to see it, what it looks like, and then go through it. So like, if you're going to work on a, um, one of the drills that's my favorite drill that kind of combines all of your like crossover, your 40, what I call 45, your deep drops coming forward is what I call an asterisk or a clock drill. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, you have them in the middle and I have cones for all the spots. So if you looked at it as a clock, you know, you have the, the nine o'clock and the three o'clock and then you have the two o'clock and the, what would be 10 o'clock and then 12 o'clock and so on. Right. And I'd have a cone at each one of those and they would start in the middle and I would, you know, throw it say to their left um, and they would get the line, line drive. So they'd work on their crossover and hardest drill is one person doing the whole set. Okay. Mm, um, most like when they're time, tired. Yes. Most times I would do it, you know, like one person, one person, one person, then we go to 45 and then we go to, Deep drop over the right shoulder, deep drop over the left shoulder, 45, crossover. And then for the ones coming forward, dive, 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 or ground ball, ground ball, ground ball. So that, or I create a tunnel. Um, and so they would drop step and go into that tunnel of cones. So they, they wouldn't, like a lot of kids, they wind up like just going here, they leak out and they're just like, you know, just wandering. And so just to get that feel of, okay, if I do a deep drop, where do I need to be? I'm going to go around this tone, but I'm going to go through these tones. And so I think the more visual that you can, I've put down ropes, you know, the way so they can see what the angles are supposed to look like. And then you actually do them or coming out of a ladder and then, you know, stopping, turning, going behind, you know, um, to drop step. We worked, we probably worked on drop steps a lot. I know we did. That was, that was, you know, drop step, drop step, drop step and angles. And one thing I've changed um, over the years, like I used to round, you know, and don't round anymore. Just try to cut that angle as much as you can and get your feet set, you know, instead of that whole extra here. So I stopped doing that a bit ago, um, but really trying to cut those angles really tight trying to think of some of the other stuff um, that we would do, you know, even just, you know, the change of direction, the Aaliyah Andrews drill was really good with the tennis ball. Um, that gave me a workout. All, you know, this year running out, you know, toss the tennis ball and they're fast, right? They're faster than I am right now. I'd be like, man, this is killing me. But, you know, really those short tosses, turn, quick turns, you know, you're keeping it tight. 
things like that. Is that where you're following yes. the player y- yes. and then just kind of popping right. it like popcorn? Yeah. They got to read it. Kind of, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. They, they uh, wind up turning their, their uh, eyes off, what I call eyes off drills and eyes on drills. Um, mm-hmm. Eyes on, you know, just all that. Uh, but yeah, we would do that. Um, you know, and always find a line, you know, like just tight, like how tight can we go? Tight turns and things like that. Um, I think yeah. those are important. I love that. And I, I bet you your outfield like subconsciously saw cones as they were like reading balls in a game Most because likely, the, yeah. like that's how important those angles are. And I'm a visual learner. So I am like, can I go back and play outfield? Because um, I, I could see that being so beneficial. And I know a lot of people are going to get a lot out of that. You know, there were times too, where I'd, I'd see Christina and I'm like, she's in really far. Like if it goes over her head, like, I don't know if she can get there. And then she would. And I'm like, that's kudos to to all the outfield drills that you guys did and spent so much time on. Christina's like, we did so much outfield focus stuff. Yes. And, yeah. and she's like, Ashley, you wouldn't believe how much, how much, how many drills that we do and how serious it was out there. And I'm just like, I love it. Yeah. I, well, Christina, I love it. I think that's how every position deserves to be tr- like yes. to work on. I always felt like I felt like there's two positions in in softball that get overlooked all the time or most times. Catching. And outfield, and um, and so again, the outfield I have a passion for, and most of the outfielders, most not all, were flappers, and then the ones that weren't could also lay it on down because a lot of them are lefty. But um, you know, Christina just picked up on like you would do a drill one time, and then she pick up on it, and not everybody did that. Um, she was honestly, I told her this a number of times like he's one of the best outfielders we have ever had and one of the best outfielders in the country in my opinion. And um because of her reads, her reads were outstanding and um good really good arm, good speed as a hitter, you know, she could hit with power, she would get on base, she could put a bump down. Like she, you know, she was like the total package in terms of on the field play and then just a learner and a great person, you know, she's so much fun to watch like that. Like when you can watch an outfielder do what she did, um, it, it was just like, Oh my God, like you said, how did she get to that ball? Like that was a blast and she made it look easy. And that's how you kind of want it to be. And I always felt like it took the outfielders about a year to kind of feel comfortable and get their throws, especially their throws where they need them to be like being more accurate or getting rid of it quickly, being able to get rid of it, you know, accurately balls at the fence, you know, the other balls that go in between, you know, you have to either get them, you know, and and load up and throw or if they're right at the fence, you know, take that step and come off. But being able to hit your cuts, that they will tell you that that was my pet peeve. If you mm. miss the cut, I is like your job once the ball gets by or once you have it is to throw and catch. That's all softball is defensively is, you know, well, there's feeling, but throwing and catching, right? And throwing and catching under pressure. Um, so being able to get rid of the ball quickly and accurately to your target, that is all you need to do. And we, we did our, Cuts and relays, we we didn't throw a lot right to the base unless we were coming in on the ball. We would use that cut person to cut, you know, make the shorter throw, shorter throw and get it there instead of it, 
you know, maybe spinning away, things like that. So mm-hmm. that was important. Um, I thought, you know, being able to hit your cuts um, and just make the good throw and get rid of it quickly. Yeah. So how would you practice then those things under pressure? Because I, I think there's a lot of players that are like, I can do it in practice all day long, right. put me in a game and it's just not the same. Um, but I know you guys practice pressure situations. How would you be able to get that accuracy? Yeah, I think, um, um, I think that a couple of ways. One, um, you know, like on the infield, when you're doing slapper defense, a lot of times you'll do a stopwatch, you know, and um, and see, so you know, from the time it leaves the bat, shortstop gets it, makes the throw, and you know that good slappers get down the line, 275, 28, maybe 285, 29, something. So you want to try to encourage them to shoot for like 275 or whatever. And so I think what you want to do is, you know, try to get some one of your fastest players, you know, that can potentially get a double, right? Um, and ball to the wall, see who can, you know, how quickly you can get rid of it to get it to the base. You know, hit it, get it, get it to the base. So work on trying to establish, you know, like with your players, what are some times that we know if we have a fast runner going a second to be able to do that and time them timing all always, I think creates some of that, that pressure. Mm-hmm. And then I know, um, and I don't know that we did this as much with the outfield, but, um, you know, you can, uh, have colored balls, you know, like red, green, yellow. And so you can say, well, red is, the fast player, yellow, you know, or I'm sorry, yeah, green is the fast player, yellow is, you know, their average speed, red is slow. And so you can hit them those balls, that color, and they have to get it, you know, if it's green, and they got to get it in quick and accurate. If it's another one, you know, maybe they have a little more time to get the ball. In. That one, I love that. I think can, you know, can be a good one. I know, the, uh, I think the Georgia Tech coach does that a lot with her infield, but I think it can be translated to the outfield as well. But I think timing things, um, and then just, you know, putting them uh, in those situations, like maybe you have everybody in right field, center field, um, balls hit, um, you know, wherever, you know, in the outfield, and they have to make those throws. You have some of your fastest runners and they have to make those throws and and see how many. Um, One thing that we did um, for a couple of years is we would set up a a net and uh, we would, Go about uh, 75 feet away, um, and then one that was about 90 feet away, and um, we would have them uh, roll them a ball or hit them a ball, and we would see how quickly they were able to field it and get rid of it. And we had a, um, I had a hoop on the net so that they would, that was their target. Like, and they only got points if they hit that target. And so then you could do it individually, keep track, or you could do it where you had the five outfielders. Okay. Everybody, we've got to, you know, this is our target. This is what we're shooting for on this round. Like everybody's got to get it or, you know, you could have a consequence, you know, sit ups, whatever, or just whatever. But um, that was one thing that we did do. We measured out, we had a cone, of course, um, measured it out, had the hoop, of course. And, um, you know, they had to, to field it. Then they had to work on getting rid of it quickly, but accurately. Um, and, you know, timing who, you know, who got the best time or whatever, and then move them to 90 feet because those are normal 
kind of throws that you would be making from the outfield. So you have to make it realistic. Oh, I love that. I feel like we could talk about outfield for four more Um, hours, but I want to be conscious of your time. Is there anything outfield wise that you definitely want to leave with that maybe we haven't hit on yet? Gee, I think just, you know, making the outfielders feel their importance in the game and, and being a part of, you know, that unit, that defensive unit and, and how integral a part that they are of it and to make it fun. Like our, in my opinion, and all the outfielders that I have my whole career, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, like any former pitchers, infielders or anything, but the outfielders were always the most fun or they liked, they could work, but they could have fun. They were our best dancers. You know, they were, they were great. Um, but I think, you know, to integrate them in within your, you know, your team, it's not always just doing outfield drills and infield drills. Like you've got to be able to put both of them together and make it so that, you know, they both appreciate what each other does. And I think sometimes, hey, let the infield go in the outfield and the outfield go in the infield and let them take some balls and things. And they get to appreciate um, you know, a lot of times you have your pitchers out there maybe when you're doing, you know, some live hitting, just, you know, not necessarily team defensively where you're really focusing, but, you know, uh, people out there, they really get to appreciate, like you said, going from the infield to the outfield and they're like, whoa, I don't think I've ever caught a fly ball before. And that feeling and understanding and both sides respecting what each other does on the field. Mm-hmm. It's a true art. Mm-hmm. It truly, it truly is. I mean, like any part of the game, right? Like base yeah. running's an art. Yeah. But maybe it's underlooked because as a youth player, you know, there's not a lot of balls that go to the outfield. So you know, putting that into practice, you know, isn't something that many people know or understand. But I think some, like you said, some of your best athletes are in the outfield. Yeah. Like they need to know how to move and react. Yeah, they they really are. And um, and and the speed, like having that speed, the, you don't always have to be the fastest to be an outfielder, but it certainly helps a ton because you can make up for a lot with that. You know, and um, yeah, and it's just um, I just my eyes always go when I was recruiting. They always went to outfield, and uh, you know, I, I know you have to have other parts, but the outfield just to me is just so exciting. I love watching my baseball. Some of the catches they've been making. You know, I went to Carolina's fall game, and all every one of the outfielders made an outstanding, like dynamic catch, and it was so much fun to watch. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my players that I work with here, she's been to actually a few of your camps and she loved the camps because of all the emphasis on the outfield. Um, But yeah, that's just a testament to, you know, what you love. And it's probably why you had very fast teams as well. Yeah. Yeah, We recruited some speed. You did. You did. Yeah. Yeah. And, And something else I always admired was how aggressive, you know, your base runners played and your outfield and just anybody like, how did you get that aggression like good aggression, right? Out of your players. Like how did you get them so aggressive? Yeah, I think um the there's well the buy-in with the base running was huge. Like we always said too, and I even said this at camps, like once you hit the ball or slap the ball, you are no longer a hitter or slapper. Now you're a base runner and your goal is to get as many bases as you can ultimately to score. Um and and I know, you know, uh like I said, Chelsea, you know, our assistant worked with the base runners a lot and 
taught them, you know, like when the pitcher walked out of the circle, hey, great opportunity for you to go. I would never give a delayed feel like signal. They did that on their own because they worked on it in practice. And we always mm. try to challenge our team to be better. And so if you could do that on the team, we're hopefully making it better. Like, hey, you just, you know, like let this runner go to third and you know, you can pick up on it. And I think it's just finding those little things like the catcher, a lot of times it will take their glove off after they receive the ball. And so now you have a great opportunity to steal home. You know, one of our players last year, she would always look at me at third and she'd go, Coach P, what do you think? Coach P, what do you think? She wanted to steal home because she would be watching for those little things like catcher taking her glove off or she's just not paying attention or whatever it might be. And so we encourage them like to take as many bases as possible, go for it. Why not? You know, and take the bigger leads. We, you know, we let off, we never broke down. You know, you see a lot of teams turn and they break down in base running, um, like baseball. And it's not, you have to then start up again. So, you know, we work a lot to just turn your head and everything is going to where you need to be and where you need to go. And, you know, we would work on the angles of, you know, the turns and, Slides and flybys and things like that. So we put an emphasis on base running and being aggressive as a base runner, but we tried to work on the little things that were going to put us just a little bit ahead. And I would, you know, and for me too, like I grew as a coach and it took me a while because, you know, I loved to bunt the runner over the second, not, not in the last probably five, six, maybe more years, but with speed. So that person, the leadoff gets on. Now you can have them steal when they're at second. Now if I want to bunt, I can bunt with the number two hitter. But it, it just makes it a different game. And so I would, and if I'm going to have them steal and run and they get thrown out, so what? Because that's the commitment that we make is to have them go for it and be aggressive. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be aggressive, then you have to be willing to get thrown out too. And, and then that's just how it happens. Uh, but you want it to be smart aggressive, not, not, I, I don't want it to be on the side of, I didn't think like, I, I'll take responsibility always, even on balls, um, hit to the outfield, you know, on that runner coming. Like I would always err on the side of being aggressive more so than holding them up. Yeah. And that's why you get so many steals, yeah. you know, you got to try, right? you got to try to get them. And sometimes you're out, but no, I love that. That was some of the best advice I was ever given as a player as well, was err on the side of aggressiveness, mm-hmm. always. Yeah. Um, and of course, there's times where, you know, it's tight game. We got to be a little smart, right? But I think at the end of the day, I think it's it's definitely great advice to think, you know, err on the side of aggressiveness. So what? And that's what practice is meant for. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I've encouraged so many coaches. I'm like, let them make the mistakes in practice so you don't see those same mistakes in games. But they're not going to be able to know if they can test themselves, you know, running from first to second if they don't try it. Right. Yeah. Practice. You've got to, like, we've got to be able to let them loose and go. And especially if you have that speed, because then it's why you have the speed, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, sure, it's nice to have some people that have some power, you know, but at the same time, if you have the speed, use it. It's dangerous. So. Totally. Totally. Well, wrapping up, I just want to need to thank you for, for coming on and talking softball with us. Cause crazy enough, it's been an hour. <laughs> I can't believe it, 
but I'm going to, I'm going to end with a little rapid fire. Are you okay with doing it? I call it five to thrive. Okay. Um, but before we do it, is there anything that you have to share with any coaches, players, parents that are on the, the call right now that you have? I, I just, I think, um, you know, if you, if you're going to be in a sport, it doesn't matter softball, volleyball, field hockey, whatever it is, just make sure you, you have passion for what you're doing. Um, and that you enjoy it and that you love it. And uh, because it's going to be hard if your parents love it and you don't, or it's not within you. And and that doesn't mean that you have to be great every day and that, you know, every day it's 150% because it's not going to happen like that. But know that if you're going to invest in something and people are going to invest in you, make sure it's something that you really feel in your heart. Because if you don't feel it in your heart, you, it, it's just, it's going to be a job. It's going to be work. It's going to be dreaded. And I think no matter what you do in life, it doesn't matter if it's a sport or what, like you've got to have it from within and feel it and, and be it and live it and do it that way. And, and so that would be my only, you know, advice. Um, and, and for parents just to be as supportive as you can um, and not, Critical, so critical. I mean, yes, you want to be able to help them get better, but also let them be. Like I always think about kindergartners and little kids. Like they love to play and they're so free and they're so happy. And then everybody starts to put them in a box, and then they yeah they have to follow all these rules. And it, you know, it, it just it just changes how excited and happy they are about everything. And so just to be able to have passion. I guess that would be my, my biggest thing. Have pride, have passion, be excellent. You know? That's such great advice. And you coached with that every single day. Thanks. Mm, this has been such a joy. Okay. I'm going to ask you five quick questions. They're not, they're not anything crazy, but I think we're going to get some cool answers out of you. So the first question that I have for you is what are two qualities of a great leader? Somebody that listens and listens well. And somebody that is willing to um, go against what may be popular opinion and they are willing to stand up for what they believe in, even if the whole group isn't really on board or doesn't maybe feel the same way. Great answer. What is a hobby that you have that many people don't know about? Ah, gosh, let's see. I, a hobby. Hmm. You're like softball. Yeah, no, <laughs> so. no. I like to, I like to cook a lot, but I Ooh. think they might know. I mean, I've had the team over. I taught them how to make chicken cutlet parm. They listened to Italian music with me. They, it was great. Um, but um, I love to cook. I've been, it, you know, like exploring some recipes um, recently. And um, so that part is, you know, I, I love, I love to, you know, ride bikes and I love the beach. I'm absolutely. I adore the beach. I could live there 24 seven. Mm, that's so fun. Well, next time I'm in Chapel Hill, we're not going out. Yeah. I'm coming to your house. Okay. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> Anytime. Ask Christina. <laughs> I'm not too bad. At that's them. perfect. I love it. Who was a huge role model in your career, either as a player or coach or both? Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't, it's when I was growing up, um, you know, I was going to give away my age, but 
you know, there weren't a ton of role models for females. So, you know, like I told you, I, you know, I watched a lot of the Yankee games and things like that. And I think a lot of baseball players like a Mickey Mantle and a Roger Maris and um, people like that, you know, you, you went to baseball, but I also knew about Joan Joyce. And so she was somebody in the softball world and she wasn't just a softball player. She was great in everything, volleyball, bowling, you know, I mean, she was a, a star, you know, golf, all of that. And, um, and so I think those were some of my role models. And I, and I think, you know, you always do parents. I mean, for sure, like, maybe not necessarily in the sport, but the type of people that they were and how how they treated me and my brother and how we grew up and, you know, things they taught us about, you know, if somebody did something nice for you, um, you always write them a thank you note. And to this day, you know, I write thank you notes or I write every, I made it a thing to every year, write to every player, ex-player of mine that coaches. At the beginning of the season, mm. I would send them a handwritten note. And um, I just think that's important and that's lost today with the texting. And not the texting's bad. Um, it's quick. But I think if you appreciate something, you should let somebody know it. Mm. That's so cool. I just, so I just interviewed Molly Fickner, who played for Pat Murphy, and he did the exact same thing. She put on a really cool event and he sent her just a letter yeah. in the mail. And she's like, that hits way harder, you know? Yeah. But this is a this is a perfect segue. Um, what's something that your parents taught you that you are extremely grateful for? They taught me to um, respect people that were, you know, that were older than me because they have a lot to offer. And I think sometimes when people are older, they're just like, oh, they're old. They, you know, they don't know what they're talking about or whatever. We were always taught to respect you know, and anybody that, you know, came into our house, hello, mister, or hello, missus, hello, you know, give them a big hug, whatever. And we were just taught that it's just important to greet people properly. And, um, and so, you know, and have respect. And like I said, the, the notes, the letters, the, those kind of things, uh, that's just how they were. So mm, that's so great. That's so great. I hope people are inspired to continue doing that through this interview. Final question I have for you is I want to know what was the goal for each player that went through your program for you? What was, was what was your goal with each player you coached? Yeah. Um, okay. That one's kind of easy for me. I wanted the number one, first and foremost, to graduate from the University of North Carolina, get their degree. Like that, that was, you know, number one. Um, and number two was to become the best player and person that they could become. And I, and I felt like my job as a coach um, was to help develop their skills, their lifetime skills, in addition to like softball skills. Like that was a part of my job. I wasn't just like their coach to teach them the game of softball better or something like that. I felt like part of what I was there for was to help them learn about being on time, being respectful to your teammates, to the people that work with you. You know, how how can I work with this group of people to be a team? But first and foremost, number one, graduate with your degree from the University of North Carolina because it's a very meaningful degree. 
And, and, you know, the, one of the things that's been really cool for me is that um, so many of uh, the players have, um, sorry, uh, so many of them have talked about um, thanking me for bringing them together as uh, like sisters or that they would have never had the opportunity to have these friendships uh, that they have right now or you know, about eight of them came in this past weekend. Um, and, you know, I know your sister and Zoe and Haley, you know, are besties. And, you know, so many of them said, you know, without this opportunity, I would have never, you know, been able to be where I am today. And, you know, and I'm like, I've always learned from them. Um, I've always told them, like, my journey has been your journey. Like, you've taught me. And I hope I've taught you, but just from so many of them that have, you know, texts and so on, that like the things that they've said to me, I feel like whether what you know whether I didn't win a national championship or anything like that, but uh, I know that how important it is to make a difference in somebody's life. And when people tell you that, that is the most rewarding thing for me. That. I've ever, you know, experienced and um, made it all worthwhile. So. Mm, that is so special. And it's true. That's the stuff you're going to remember yeah. most. Yeah. So. Mm, amazing. Amazing. Well, this has been an absolute honor to have you on. Again, I kind of want to spend another 10 hours with you and talk softball, but maybe we'll have to plan another date to get you back on and talk about the things you're passionate about. But this this game has been so great to to us and to you and thank goodness you were in this game because you have transformed so many lives of your athletes. So thank you so much for spending time with us today. I'll just say BYOC, bring your own cone and we we can talk out field. <laughs> bring your own cone. That's incredible. Well, thank you so much, right. Coach Fee. Thank you. All right. This was so much fun. I hope this made you appreciate the outfield a little bit more and are maybe excited to teach and learn how you can help the last line of defense on the field be as strong as it possibly can be. Outfield is a true art, just like any position on the field, really, and I loved learning the elements that make a great outfielder that way. I loved getting to share with you these past two weeks someone who devoted her entire life to her craft of coaching and truly being in the people business during her tenure. Her players have nothing but great things to say about her, and these past two episodes give you a huge blueprint as to why she's coached some of the greatest players and teams in the nation. I want to hear what your favorite parts were from the conversation with Coach Pete. One of my favorite things I get to do is share reviews with former guests that I know they'd love. So if you love this episode, head on over to When the Cleats Come Off Community on Facebook. The link is in the show notes, and you can continue the conversation over there. And if you are enjoying When the Cleats Come Off and haven't done so already, please leave us a review on the platform you're listening on right now, or just share with your softball tribe. This is about the easiest way you can promote the podcast and help get the word out and grow our favorite game even more. Thank you so much for your support of the podcast, and I'm so excited to create more episodes like this one for you. The game is way more fun when we start embracing the good, the bad, and the ugly. So don't forget to stay awkward, stay humble, and keep smiling. I'll see you next week.